Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, it is episode number 233 with Emily Lehman. Now, before I get into the podcast with Emily and talk about what's on today's show, because it's an absolute cracker, I just want to thank everybody who has reached out and pre-ordered um, our com- upcoming book, All Work, No Play. Now, that is going to be available in all bookstores around the world on the 1st of May, but you can pre-order if you go into Google, whatever country you're in at the moment, and search All Work, No Play book by Dale Sidebottom. You can pre-order that book and get it sent to you ASAP so that you can really start enjoying it. And also, if you are in Melbourne, all right, so people are listening in Melbourne, Victoria, um, next week on the Saturday, the 1st of May, we're having a live book launch in Melbourne. So if you want to hear more about that, um, we're about 75% capacity at the moment. So if you would like a ticket to that event, it's a three-hour event, um, it's going to be amazing. I'm really excited for it and to basically launch this book that I've been working on for the last two and a half years. So reach out if you're keen for that. Now, Today's episode with Emily Lehman, it is talking about addiction, recovery, mental health issues, and so forth like that. So before you listen today, um, if you are struggling or you need help, please reach out to a medical professional um, because, yeah, some of the topics we talk about in today's podcast are quite deep. So I just want to give you the heads up before we get into it, um, but it's going to be another cracking episode. Wherever you are in the world, have a wonderful week. This is episode number 233. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 233 of Emily Lehman. How are you, Emily? Good, Dale. How are you? I'm fantastic. Now, you're joining us from LA at the moment. How's things over there? Good. It's I'm in the valley, so it's like 90 degrees today, so it's a hot one. <laughs> Always Lots nice. Lots of people yeah. are going to the beach, yeah. So, no, I can't complain. Palm trees, it's sunny. How yes. is it for you down under? It's uh, well, we're in sort of the opposite, so it's starting to get a bit cold. And uh, it's as much as I love summer, winter. It's uh, yeah, it's a bit depressing this time of year when you realise that the sun's going and um, opposite uh, part of the world view at the moment. So, Emily, for listeners out there, do you want to paint the picture? Um, give us a bit of your background, your story. Yeah, so I am a recovering drug addict, and I just recently started a podcast basically to share my story and encourage men and women across the world or whoever's listening that they're not alone and just ways to overcome any type of struggles, traumatic experiences that they've had. Um, And so I at the age of 14, I was expelled from my school for snorting Vicodin with some friends during a football game. Um, and that kind of was the beginning of my experiment, I guess you could say with drugs. Um, I, from that happening, my family, we moved, uh, I, moved schools in the eighth grade, we moved to Colorado to have a new kind of start over for me. And then I moved again to another school for high school. I went to all girls private Catholic school. I didn't really have issues with drugs or drinking in high school. 
for college for me is when things kind of really picked up. Um, my early twenties, I kind of fell into opiates and Xanax and things like that. I was robbed at gunpoint in my home. My dog was hit by a car. Um, so lots of trauma there. So I have decided to really just use my voice for, for those in the voiceless who can't really share things anymore. And just to kind of raise awareness and break the stigma that surrounds addiction, which I think no one really talks about today. Yeah. With that, do you feel, do you feel like being, because you're so open and honest and very vulnerable, you know, do you feel that's uh, obviously it's helping you with your recovery one, but is that where you think the big impacts having with other people that they can really relate to it? Because opiates, uh, they're such a problem. Um, and a lot of people, it's like mental health. A lot of people suffer in silence. A lot of people are addicted to certain things and you don't know. Yeah, I suffered in silence for a long time, actually. You know, I went through my addiction at such a young age. I'm 28 now. I was probably like 21, 22, 23 None of my friends went through anything like this. I was living in Ohio at the time. So the opioid epidemic is very prominent and it's happening. It's everywhere. Um, So I think that, yeah, it's been interesting since starting this journey. I've had people that I wasn't even aware of message me be like, wow, oh my God, like I'm suffering from this too. Or, oh, do you have a suggestion for this? Or, oh, my sister is struggling with this. What do you... And it's just like, okay, wow, like this, this is why I'm wanting to do this. So it feels good to open up that dialogue that I think a lot of people are scared to have. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it's something that we don't talk about and hopefully, you know, more people that are spreading the word and sorry, like with mental health and everything like that, the more people that talk about it, the better. So were were you always, was was the trauma effects, obviously of getting hit and, and things like that. Did that just amplify the, the addiction? Yes, it did. I, I feel like, you know, after my dog got hit by a car, I feel like everything just kind of kept moving. I, it was like, there was like no grieving. Everyone, I feel like it's like, oh, it's a dog, you know, like move on. But like that dog went through my whole addiction with me and through so many things. So for me to lose that last piece of like what I had in a weird way it was kind of like the chapter of a book closing because that was the last string I I, you know I was seeing someone at the time and we'd lived together so we'd had this dog and we weren't together at the time so like this traumatic situation happening just that no more strings it really allowed me to break free from him kind of in a way because there wasn't anything tying me to him really anymore and it did yeah I think it just kind of a downward spiral a little bit from there because it's like everyone's expecting you to just move on and it's like okay like I'm sad like this this sucked like but everyone's like okay like what are you doing today I'm like okay like so it's just it was hard yeah and, and for people listening, if you've got a dog, you, you love that dog unconditionally and um, no, not everyone else has to love it and that's fine. But the love you share yeah. with an animal, like particularly like you're saying that you spend every ounce of every day nearly with that dog. You see in the morning, you walk it, you feed it, you absolutely adore it. So I can imagine that. So at the height, Emily, of your addiction, what did like a day look like? Were you able to mask this from friends and family or um, were you oh, very, very good at it? 
Like if, if that's yeah. a thing. <laughs> no, it is. It is. Um, yes. My parents honestly had no idea. Um, I think my brother kind of knew a little bit. I don't think anyone, you know, and people knew I partied and, you know, go out, dabble in a little this, whatever, but I don't think anyone really knew the extent. So a day for me would be waking up, rolling out of bed, brushing my teeth, uh, crushing down like a perk 30 into two lines, snorting it back to back, getting up going about my day a few hours later breaking down some more and just sitting around watching Netflix like maybe running a few errands taking my dog for a walk maybe stopping by my parents house probably not um yeah it just you know I was probably consuming up to almost 100 milligrams of Percocet daily um so basically whenever I would start to feel bad or start sweating, go through like a mild withdrawal um, and making sure that I had a supply for the next day. So I didn't feel like absolute shit. Um, and that part was definitely stressful. Um, figuring out if and when said drug dealer is going to even have them. Um, and making sure you're getting them one from a safe place. A lot of these pills where I'm from are cut with fentanyl and like a bunch of bullshit. Um, so you just have to also be aware of where you're getting it. So that can make it hard. Um, but yeah, basically would just do that over and over and over for like three and a half to four years. I did that. Wow. So let's talk about, obviously that's pretty intense. And um, to break that cycle though, that's something that you should be extremely proud of Emily, because it's probably easier just to keep going through that routine. Do you know what I mean? Like um, sometimes you're just denying the fact that you have a problem and you just keep going, going, going. So what was the catalyst that broke the back of this addiction and, and how did you do that? Um, something one day just like really clicked. I was working at a like massage spa or whatever. And I just literally left work and like called my dad and was like, I need you to bring a pickup truck um, to the Euclid house where I lived. I was like, I need you to bring my brother and just, I need everything out of the house. I was like, I need to leave. Like, I just have to move out. I, I cannot live here anymore. Like, I just can't do it. Um, so that really, something just, I like woke up and I was like, where has all of the past, like three to four years, like, where have I, what happened? Like, how did this happen? Where has the time gone? Like, how did this happen so fast? It's just like, really slips away from you way quicker than you realize. Um, and so I moved back in with my parents and obviously I was not able to do drugs in their home. Um, so I really did a lot of hot yoga through my recovery. I did not go to a 12 step program. I didn't go to an NA meeting. My parents still really had no idea about this at the time. Um, so a lot of journaling, it was just a lot of 
like soul searching and like spirituality and like finding God, I guess. Um, Cause being at such a low, you have really, I didn't really have anywhere else to turn to. So journaling and hot yoga and that I don't recommend that to anyone who's listening to this and is thinking about getting sober, please do not do like (laughs) absolutely seek doctors, seek help. Please don't um, do what I did because it's, it's not safe. Um, I don't recommend that to anybody. So yeah. <laughs> I've got that. So um, with that being said, obviously your parents must be quite supportive. Um, were they always supportive? Like when you told them, you know, what was going on and um, what was that? What was that initial sort of chat like? So my parents are, have always been very supportive. Addiction runs in my family. My dad's sister, uh, when I was growing up was a heroin addict and she passed away when I was in college. So the conversation of drugs and the safety of drugs and you know all that spiel when you're a young kid that was very my dad sat us down all the time and told us you know the dangers of drugs um when I got in trouble at 14 my parents were like what the fuck is happening here like why what's going on like okay um but when I'm at you know in my 20s we honestly, we haven't had that conversation. Um, it has not really been discussed. I, I know that my parents know that there was substance abuse. Um, I don't think they understand the extent of what it was. I believe that conversation is coming. Uh, obviously (laughs) since I'm doing my own podcast, um, there are going to be things that obviously are going to be put out there that they're going to hear and that they have no idea um, about. And that's okay. Does that scare you? Does that scare you? Honestly, no. um, Because at the end of the day, my parents are so supportive and I've put them through so much that I know that, and it's already happened. So I'm not like super worried about it. Um, but I think they're definitely going to be like, okay, what the fuck? But then (laughs) they're going to honestly probably be able to fill in a lot of puzzle pieces that I think they're probably confused about. Like I, you know, my parents lived five minutes down the street from, from me and I'm such a homebody and I go over for dinners and we hang like, you know, so during that time, like, I wouldn't show up for dinners. I wouldn't talk to my parents for weeks. And I'm sure they're like, like, you know, but like at those times, like I was going through withdrawal, like, or I was like, so like, just like, I wasn't able to be there. Um, So I think they'll probably connect some dots there. Um, But it's also a little nerve wracking because you know, you, I don't want to be a disappointment to them and to let my dad down, I guess, because with, of a sister and growing up and he made it very like, you know, he told me, he told me, he told me, but it's, I have to learn things the hard way. (laughs) Um, you know, I have to do things myself, uh, to learn. So I think, you know, just let shame and embarrassment, but that goes back to the stigma of addiction. And I think that, it's not something to be ashamed or embarrassed about, you know, it's a part of my path. It's, it's who I am. It's something I struggled with. Um, so that's something I'm learning to come to terms with as well. 
Yeah. And uh, so thinking about that in a way, do you think they might be a little bit proud of obviously what you've been able to achieve, where you've come from and now what you're trying to do for other people? Yeah. I had a conversation with my dad, um, literally two weeks ago. And I was like, I'd called my brother and sister. I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell dad, like I'm doing this podcast. My sister's like, I mean, yeah, like they're going to find out eventually. Um, and when I told him, he was like, I think that's awesome. He was so super supportive. And I was a little like shocked. I think I was maybe expecting a little like kickback, like, oh, are you sure that's something you want to do? Are you sure you want to share or like do that? But he was like, I think that's amazing. So I was like, okay, wow. Like, and that just kind of gave like little, little fuel in my fire. It just gave me a little extra motivation. So it felt good. Um, so yeah, I think they'll be proud of what I'm doing. And, you know, my, I would like to since losing an aunt to heroin at such a young age, it would be nice to honor her in a way. So I feel like in doing this um, and sharing and making people aware, I'm able to do that. So, hmm. Well, I, I think they'll be proud because it is a big thing to do. And to put yourself on that stage, um, you know, really tell people your deep, dark secrets that they may not have known before and really open up about it. I think deep down they will be extremely proud. So let's obviously talk about recovery. What does that look like now? Is there a lot of journaling still and hot yoga? Um, how have yeah. you been able to, you know, stay, you know, clean all this time? Yeah. So I do, I journal all the time. I, I love to journal. I just think it's a great outlet. I love to be able to read back and like have just like those memories of how I'm feeling that day or, you know, and then, um, I do practice yoga at home with like, obviously since COVID and everything has been shut down, there hasn't been much hot yoga, unfortunately. Um, but I love to get outside at least a few times a day and go for a walk. I have a dog also, so that kind of helps. Um, and honestly, having a really supportive community of people who I can speak to and can relate to the things that I've been through have been extremely helpful. Um, I think finding your community is just so important. You have to have that constant support, I think, when you're going through recovery. Um, and like I said, I, I haven't done any meetings or I didn't like do that whole route. So I just, I, I feel like my recovery isn't the like quote unquote traditional, like, I don't go to meetings every Friday night. I don't like, I, I don't, I don't do that, that I don't have to do that for my recovery. Um, so I just really have to take everything day by day and just set tasks for myself, like three things I need to do today and just do those. And then if I do them, if I don't, it's not a huge deal. Um, but community building your sobriety toolbox whether that's like finding your hobbies healthy eating um journaling finding god or just being spiritual yoga um a lot of people that i speak to it's very everyone has found this like inner spirituality um i think just because all of the trauma or just like the 
I don't know, you just get to these really, really dark, deep lows where it's kind of like the only where or place to turn is like praying or like journaling or finding that outlet. Um, so just making sure you have someone you can trust, that's a really good outlet. And having a, a community, I think, is so important. And meetings, if meetings are for you, absolutely go to meetings. I just never went to any. So maybe I should try them, but I haven't needed them. So yeah, well, but by the sound of things, you, you're doing everything you really need to do to sustain a healthy life. You're eating healthy, you're exercising, you're journaling, um, as well as that, you build, you've built a tribe. So that's where... At the end of the day, and I think people are realizing similarly after COVID that, um, you know, human connection, that's our wealth. We're really missing out on that. So um, particularly if you're going through a tough time, you need to build that strong community around you. So how important is the community? I know you mentioned that, but like exercise and healthy eating, like they're crucial, aren't they? They're so crucial. And I like hate to say this, but I have like the biggest sweet tooth, like the <laughs> biggest sweet tooth. I love candy and ice cream and I feel like I like now I'm like addicted to sugar instead of pills and opiates. Um, but no eating and just like putting in healthy things to your body. It just makes you feel good. And um, I um, forget what I was going to say all of a sudden, but yeah, just with healthy eating, you and it's nice because you can kind of make your own schedule. You can pick what you eat. You can make it fun. You can go to the grocery and kind of make a routine out of it. Um, so you kind of have to have fun with it. And I mean, I'm not like the cleanest eater. And if anyone who's listening to this that knows me is going to know that. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think before COVID, everyone is just so on the go. It's so fast paced. So during this time, it's been nice to kind of reflect and slow down. And, but it's also been hard, I think, for people in recovery because, you know, the gyms, hot yoga, all of these classes, you know, people don't really have access to them. Well, you, besides, you know, maybe like an online class, but you know, it's just not the same. No, I've had not- friends that have, uh, you know, relapsed over this, this COVID and have had to go back to rehab, you know, just because the gyms were closed and, you know, that's their sanctuary and their safe place. So I don't think people look at that aspect. I mean, even meetings and group meetings being closed for those people or people who are even in like toxic situations or their living situation, you know, and COVID has, that is a struggle, I think, for a lot of people. So I think some people forget that as great as COVID has been for like the recentering and the relaxing and like people starting their own businesses and like doing all of these things. There's also this other side of people who are kind of in this rut. Well, okay, I can't go to a meeting now. What do I do? And there are the alternative meetings. So like, you know, online and the, the Zooms and everything. Um, but from what I've heard, I just don't really think it's the same. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not. And I think that's one thing we're realizing that that human connection, that face-to-face that energy in a room, that is essentially what we're human beings. We're craving that. Um, and yeah, if people are listening, you know, reach out to somebody because that's what COVID's restricted us of. So um, people are listening, Emily, they want to know a bit more about your podcast because it's coming out the 1st of May. Uh, what can they expect? 
So on my podcast, it's basically going to be my journey through recovery, um, discussing mental health, self-development, wellness, spirituality. And basically I'm going to, I just want to empower people to break the stigma that really surrounds addiction because I feel like it's swept under the rug a lot. And I believe the first step to making the change of breaking the stigma is opening up that dialogue. So I'll be talking with therapists, doctors, we'll be talking about sleep. I'll be interviewing people who um, have overcome addictions, who have lost family members and siblings. So all kinds of things like that. And I think that's at the end of the day, people learn through other people's stories and their journeys. And um, that's what I applaud you for, you know, being so open and honest and sharing that with everyone, Emily, because sometimes it is hard. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, these are things that are, they're a lot easier not to talk about, but when we do talk about it, it makes a big difference. So um, guys, first of May, the Lehman experience, check that out. Um, and Emily, thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. And um, I really applaud you for the work you're doing um, and the impact it's going to make. Thank you so much, Dale. Thank you for having me. This was fun.